Hi there and thanks for joining us. Coming up on this episode, the latest from the Gin King of Cork. Is there a real rush to return to work? And the farmer who's turned his hand to glamping. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, my next guest is a beef farmer from West Cork who's done something slightly different. Chris O'Sullivan, how are you? Not too bad, John. How are you keeping? I'm good. Where's home? Where's home? Home, I'm a base just outside Bantry on the Sheepshead Peninsula um, on a road called the Goat's Pass. Townland is Glenlock. Glenlock, a lovely part of the world and bound to be busy over the summer months given it's a staycation year. And this has prompted you to add a little bit of extra. Tell us what you've put in. Um, well, it, it, it didn't actually, we, we actually planned to do this well before COVID. So the planning for this has been a few years. Um, so um, we, we've set up pods. So it wasn't COVID that prompted us to do this because of the fact that we've probably three, maybe four years ago, we, um, we started work on this um, initial plan came five years ago. We set up six glamping pods and a campsite on our, on our farm, basically. Um, yeah, that's what it is, uh, glamping pods. Okay. And to tell us uh, what a glamping pod is now, I've never stayed in one. I'm, I'm a stickler for a tradition, not a huge fan of tents. But is there enough in this glamping pod to tempt even me? Well, I, I, yeah, you, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it, Jonathan. Um, I, it's far from a tent. Um, so basically, it's a, it's a wooden uh, structure, kind of a dome or curved shape, um, and it's uh, wooden built. It's, inside it consists of a double bed, um, a futon that folds out to a double bed, a camp bed. There's a little kitchenette um, uh, with a little fridge, freezer, toaster, kettle, microwave, and then there's a little bathroom with a toilet and shower and hand basin. Okay, now you have me straight away a toilet <clears throat> because the authenticity always put me off. The, I can take the book in there, Jonathan, straight away if you want. <laughs> just on your details. So what tempted a beef farmer to do this? Because it would be easier just to stick to the cattle. Okay, so I suppose um, we wanted to change things up in, in general, even with the beef farming. So we started off by changing that. So initially what we did was we had your usual continentals and stuff, and uh, you know it, it was a bit repetitive, like uh, rearing your animal, not getting the prices you wanted. Um, same thing year in year out, uh, sticking to the traditional way. So we we started off by diversifying into Dexter's, um, the uh, rare Irish breed. So we started off with that, starting a herd of Dexter's. Um, there, th- that was basically where it all started, and we branded the farm then Go to Pat Farm from there. Um, so we were selling our Dexter uh, beef, our, our meat, after a few years of, of rearing them. Um, it, it, um, it, it took off like it was a, it was a, a, a nice flavored meat, grass reared, uh, only grass, nothing else. Um, so that started the whole thing. So then I wanted to use the farm then as well with the name after being branded and all that and to get into something for tourism because the peninsula out here like is beautiful and we get a lot of tourists coming out here and um, doing the hill walks and stuff. And uh, we just wanted to offer something different to them to keep them on the peninsula a little bit longer uh, and, and try something different. So um, we were down the route of pods. Mm. Yeah, look, it sounds, they sound fabulous. And I've seen pictures. They look great. Now, the question I have for you, for other farmers, cattle are difficult enough to deal with. Sometimes they just don't want to do what you want them to do. <laughs> Humans are probably worse than cattle when you're trying to coordinate and corral them into what they want to do. Have you any experience in hospitality? 
not in hospitality, no, no. Um, I worked in, in sales before in a motor factories inventory, uh, pit stop auto shop. So I would have kind of um, dealt with people from behind the counter scene, we'll say. Um, so that, uh, the experience with that probably does help a bit, but hospitality, no, no experience. And, and what happens if somebody turns around and says, oh, the toilet's a bit smaller than I wanted it to be, or I can't quite see the sea as much as I'd like to from my house. Are you ready for that kind of consumer complaint? Oh, am I ready for it? I've dealt with it already. <laughs> <laughs> and how is, how is it to deal with that? Because again, this is the kind of thing that might put a farmer off. No, it's, it, look, it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to, definitely, but um, like it, it's something that, that you just have to deal with, and, and you have to no matter what, it, customers are always right. So if it's if they are complaining about something and something's not right, then you do your best to either, if you can, fix it for them. And if you can't, you can't. And you just tell them that. There's, sorry, there's nothing I can do. I can't bring the sea closer. I can't make a beach for you outside my door. I can't stop the midges from biting you because the midges <laughs> are here and they will bite you. They're an aggressive um, so, farmer, West Cork midgey. We know them well. Yeah, and you know that's that's we we have dealt with this already, like, and uh, you know we do our best to to try and help them. Like, we have different um, methods here to help them with the midges and stuff, and so on and so forth. But you know, you just kind of have to to deal with it and just get on with it, and they have to as well. And given the year that's in it, as I mentioned at the very start, Chris, have you seen a lot of interest? I mean, you're advertising online, I'm presuming, social media and so on. Uh, What kind of response are you getting from the public? Massive, massive. We didn't do a whole lot of advertising, so. I think it all started with a Facebook page and very little followers and uh, put the odd thing up every now and again. And then in back in March, I said, I'm going to have to start opening up uh, some way of people booking because those people are inquiring. So we set up a one page website, very simple. And we plan to develop that website soon. Um, We set that up, we put a booking link in and um, I'd say 10 days, we were 75% booked. Um, Just like it just, it just took off. So we, we, we haven't done a whole lot when it comes to marketing or advertising. That's that that that's all we did. And it yeah. just it, it just took off. And we have all sorts of people come here. We have people that camp and glamp every year. They do it, they've been doing it for years. And we have people that never camped or glamped. Yeah, you see the thing is I'm looking at the pictures now. It doesn't look like my expectation of glamping, which I think in my mind is still a grotty old tent that has been tarted up a bit. These are kind of, they're almost like monastic cells. Yeah, like glamping is, is glorified camping and there's different, there's different ways of doing glamping. Now, we went for, we call it the high-end, but I don't like calling it that, but we call it the high-end market for glamping because like, we wanted to give the, the people that come to stay here the experience of it in, and that they have everything they need in their pod. Now, we do have a communal kitchen as well where they can, they can do extra bit of cooking and there's more space. Um, but like we wanted to have everything self-contained for them, that, that it's not just a, 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 a nicer tint, that it's, it's almost like it's still... It's, I wouldn't even compare it to a hotel room because it's still different and... My opinion of it's nicer than a hotel room, but I, I shouldn't be saying. You're a small bit biased, but to be fair, you've put a lot of effort into this. How can people find out more? And do you have any availability left at all for this summer? No, we've 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 no availability left in the pods um, until September. There's, there's there is availability in September. It's starting to fill up now. September is, but basically, when the kids go off school to when the kids go back to school is is, is full. We do have availability in tin pitches in the campsite. All right. Um, we didn't really advertise much of that, so they're, they're filling up all right. Um, the best way is to contact me, I suppose, directly either by email or, or phone number. And uh, we, we do have a cancellation list and people are jumping on that. And 
like there is cancellations people clash with summer camps and different things and they change their mind and so there is and people have availed of the cancellation list you, you give me your details put it on a cancellation list and i'll certainly pass on if the date suit well the website is goatspathpods.ie it looks absolutely fabulous and chris all i can say is fair play to you sometimes it's worth taking a punt on something even if it took a while to come to fruition but for now beef farmer and proud pod owner chris o'sullivan thanks for joining us on red business thanks jonathan thanks a million Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. And returning to the Red Business podcast, Ernest Cantlin Jr. How are you, sir? Yeah, thanks very much for having me back. Delighted. Eventful since we last talked. It certainly has been. I mean, we have many things to talk about, including the reopening of Electric um, and other opportunities for you. But I want to begin with whiskey and fungibles. What are you doing? It's a good question. (laughs) So... (laughs) I am. Um, I, I had a bit of time on my hands for the last year and a half, I suppose, like other people in my trade. And um, I've been a long time uh, sideline observer of, of cryptocurrency. Um, and uh, the, the trading and investing, it isn't for me. I don't have the time to dedicate to watch it or the knowledge. Or, um, and I wouldn't be, uh, while I'm up for, for certain levels of business risk, uh, the roller coaster that it is um, wouldn't appeal to me, to be honest. But I, but I felt that I was writing it off with just that kind of an outside view. So I um, uh, I started studying it. And, and NFTs had a, a resurgence of, of popularity over the last year, as did um, decentralized businesses, for want of a better word, decentralized entities, DeFi. So um, I suppose I, I kind of had a look at my world and it's hard to decentralize a pint of Guinness or a toasted special. You know, like that's not... <laughs> An NFT of a pint of Guinness is much good to I, I would have given a lot of money for a pint of Guinness and a toasted yeah. special about six yeah. months ago, about six yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. But I thought it was applicable to the whiskey world because I suppose whiskey, while being something that's very consumable and enjoyable, also is a really sound, in my opinion, investment, something that uh, can be a short or long-term play uh, and appreciates uh, at a very decent rate, particularly when when traditional uh, rates of return are, are uh, you know, in the basement at the moment. So that's, that was why I went to that and um, that space and see if I could combine them because I could see, okay. you know, uh, lots of investment going on in that that crypto space and money looking for a home, and and also with, with distilleries, we're looking to build a distillery wearing my Kinsale hat um, in Kinsale at the moment, and we're in for planning permission. And it's an expensive process. And no, no, these things are now. Hang on a second, Ernest. I'm a little slow, right? Okay. Um, I understand a keg or a cask of whiskey. I understand yeah. what that is. I understand that you might sell a rare cask for a lot of money, but yeah. how can you sell a rare cast cask of whiskey for a non fungible token? I mean, what does Ernest Cantlin have in his back poker having sold it? <laughs> so, so to be clear on, on the trade that can sell it specifically that you're talking about. For us, I think we got lucky because we were the first people to do it, so it got a premium, and that that cask was uh, Cooley whiskey, so it was, it was twenty years old, single malt, so it was a valuable cask anyway. Um, but uh, the the attached to that NFT was a smart contract, so that whoever owns the NFT owns the whiskey. So they um they very the whiskey and the NFT were very much linked, if you know what I mean. Um, okay. So what? So it was just, I suppose, a, a way to sell the the whiskey. Okay, but what what does Ernest Cantlin have in his back pocket? Does he get the hundred grand? Yeah, well, I, I wish I did. Kinsale does. Put it towards our. Okay, studio. really? So that's oh, yeah. it's that simple. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a lovely bit of business. We were delighted with it, and it, it was something we put out there 
without knowing, and it just got a bit of traction. Uh, you know, that we it's probably six weeks ago or two months ago, just when lots of people are looking to, to own the first of something, you know, yeah. the first this bit of digital art. So it was their chance to own the first rare, uh, well, any cask of whiskey auction for the NFT. Um, well, you know what they, you know what they say about fools and their money. He could have gone down to Super Value and probably bought a hell of a lot more whiskey. He just wouldn't have had it in a cask. Ah, but look, it wouldn't have been as special, Jonathan. It wouldn't have been magic. It wouldn't have been. <laughs> it yeah. wouldn't have been the same. Anyway, let's talk about the more traditional business. Uh, last time we spoke, you were just starting to export to China, and you were very excited about it. And I think that that was probably towards the start of lockdown, and you thought that the pub trade would kick back in, and you'd be fierce busy. Uh, it turned out that uh, selling whiskey to China uh, was a great exercise for you during lockdown. It, it kept the show on the road, uh, and they started buying gin now as well, thank God. Uh, gin is just kicking off in, in Shanghai and Beijing, I think probably for the first time. Um, uh, but um, it's uh, in cocktail bars and stuff over there, it's getting popular. So um, we're probably on our third or our fourth big shipment of whiskey to China at this stage. Um, which means, and it's funny, it's lovely getting the first order, but to be honest, the second order is the important one because it means the first one is sold. You know, you sell it to a distributor over there, he takes a punt on it. Uh, but he's only going to order again if if the thing sells through and at a decent rate. Um, so uh, the reorders are good. It means that, uh, and they're going up in scale as well, which is nice. Uh, so I know China's been good to us. Mm. I mean, th- th- you were always interested in distilling, and obviously, great partnership formed to get the Kinsale Gin brand yeah. out there. But I mean, it has gone from strength to strength in a market that was pretty busy. What, what was the key to success? I suppose with a few, a few. Um, which is being we're we're three either publicans or ex publicans, so we were well placed to, to you know I, I suppose even we'd get the reaction with Gwinter pub and they'd say you know look we already have tensions want to add another one, uh, and I suppose we had the the connection with them to say look we're publicans too we know what it's like we knew a lot of them anyway so I suppose we were able to get on the shelf maybe easier than most, um I know this look I'll be honest small things super value. Uh, and Mosgrave has been based in Cork, you know, and their proximity to Kinsale and knowing it in that relationship definitely helped as well. Um, and we were con- confident with the branding and the taste of the product once it got in front of people that they'd buy it. Um, so uh, it took a while to build up that relationship with, you know, pubs outside of Cork and Kinsale and, and grown out and, and again to get in super values inside our, our locale. But um, once it got there, it started selling. And um, that the super values were key for us in the lockdown because obviously pubs were were closed so we doubled down and um we were one of the few companies who kept uh, reps going and building relationships during it and that that played into our hands because uh, most of the big companies went to ground as a cost cutting exercise and we said well jesus you know suddenly we're not competing with this guys um with the big guys you know we can go and build a relationship and and supermarkets as you know were lifting it during the last year and a half they're very busy so it's mm. a good time to do business with them um so yeah it was just I suppose we're just lucky, to be honest, right place, right time. Yeah, you know, your t- timing is very important in that scenario. And um, you, you talk about a new distillery. How big is it going to be? And and I suppose you have to keep it in Kinsale at this point, don't you? Oh, yeah. So planning commission is in for a site in Summer Cove. Uh, COVID wasn't helpful to planning commission because um, planning notices went on on pause for periods of the lockdown because, you know, people could be out and about to see it, which is fair enough. Um, it, it probably didn't slow us down hugely because our, our equipment will have to be custom manufacturer abroad and um, getting anything shipped uh, in the last year has been a nightmare and, and you know a lot of places were closed so we probably we would have lost ground somewhere along the way there anyway um, but it, it's going to be a decent sized distillery like it's um, it's an investment for us of about a million and a half euros 
which in the distillery world is is minute, but for us it's massive. You know, like it's mm-hmm. a it's a big commitment. Um, and our, our plan is to make um, we've really good distilling partners. So our gin is made in in West Cork Distillers, and our whiskey is made by uh, Mr. Teeling's company, the Great Northern Distillery. And that would be our plan to continue that way. And we'd use the distillery um, as a training and education piece, as a tourist piece, but also to make one-off special editions, you know, different uh, distillery specials and single cask releases. Yeah, well, I'm, tell- I'm telling you, you've made €100,000 from an old keg, so it's, 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 there's, there's money in, in one-off things. You've, you've proven that. Come here, let's talk about the pub trade. Uh, Electric is back open. I don't think Sober Lane is open just yet. Uh, what's it been like to get across the threshold again and, and pouring pints and serving oh, it's food? It's been spectacular. And look, that, that's what I do. I love dabbling in other things and having a punt, but I've been doing this 15, nearly 20 years, and I, I like it. I, I, I like serving pints. I like serving grub. It's what I feel comfortable doing. Um, and I'm surrounded by people who like doing it as well. We've um, we kept a good chunk of our team, all, you know, all our chef team in both places and that kind of stuff together during the pandemic and take away food and different things. So um, they were all just bullying to get back at it, you know, looking for routine and looking for to do what they do. So uh, this is our third week. Uh, electric's open Wednesday to Saturday. So we'll be back in action tomorrow and it'll be our third week. We've been lucky with the weather um, and um, it's been very busy with the queues. Uh, and, and in fairness, even in the evenings that it's a little bit chilly, people are bringing coats and hats and are staying out late and wrapping up. You know, they've bought into this outside summer uh, mm. thing. They're coming ready for it, which is great because, look, it's the only show an offer at the moment but it's um, well no I think they're there purely because they've craved uh, that uh, outdoor indoor any kind of activity whatsoever so they'd be delighted to see you reopen did your heart stop a little bit with those reports over last weekend that said that uh, that on street drinking even in an organised fashion controlled by a pub was illegal and uh, there was uncertainty for about 24 hours as to whether or not you'd have to show it up again Um, I think I suppose I, I, I deal with the guards on a very regular basis I'm standing outside electric collecting glass or even for the last year didn't take away so you chat to guys of all seniority on their own and um, for me anyway there's always common sense with the guards so I just had a feeling that that would prevail I get that laws are laws and that that's their their um, uh, that's their gig they gotta uh, uphold them but um, I just had a feeling that common sense would prevail and I think they were looking for for not necessarily greater forces but political or judicial or to to oblige them and, and clarify that. Um, and that seems to be in hand now. Um, but certainly, I, I think um, uh, it, there was no great shift. It was just a headline. You know, um, uh, we're lucky in that we're technically not on the street, I suppose, in electric. So I didn't think it would affect us anyway. And the area that we've been trading in, um, we had licensed day one. We've been there 10 years. So it was so Berlin doesn't have an outside area. And in electric, we, were, we kind of had that boxed off. Um, but from I, certainly some of my colleagues, I suppose, it's just a headache that they didn't need or want. But what I would say is that on the ground, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't uh, an imminent threat. You know, just from chatting to the guards, they were looking for they were looking for a solution for it. Uh, and I think by making the issue public, then they've got one. I suspect they were looking for one in the background for some time. You know, like and maybe they just needed to put a bit of pressure on it to get clarification. Well, yes, but the Irish the Irish solution to an Irish problem is that you turn a blind eye. But anyway, as yeah. long as it leads you to trade on. Uh, finally, Ernest, Sobernade uh, is due to open in the coming weeks, I suppose, when, when the pubs reopen themselves. Um, how confident are you that you'll get to that point where it's nice and busy and you're open and feel safe and all your staff feel safe? Well, we've we've done a big job in both places, but particularly in Sobernade, we've extended it. 
and we've put in new toilets and put in a new floor which doesn't sound like a very glamorous thing but it's it's a big operation because you've got to move the park out oh I saw you tweeting about it by god yeah. you kept tweeting about that floor very very excited because I wanted to do it for a long time but it's taken a month and um, I would have had to miss a month's trading you know with a full roster employees otherwise normally so it wouldn't have been feasible so um, we're delighted but because we've additional space it means we still have a decent capacity and um, the other thing is that Soberlane has been selling twice as much food closed as we have open, if that makes sense. So we've never been busier for food. So we're slightly apprehensive. I'm sure we're managing with an amazing team here, how we're going to serve both places. But we, um, I thought that the takeaway food stuff would, would taper off when other places started to open over the last few weeks, but it hasn't. Uh, it's mm. held up. So it's, it's, I'll be honest, it's an exciting time. You know, it's, it's great to be busy. So um, it's great to be supported. Like, you know, it makes you feel good. Well, quality always attracts custom, no matter where it is, whether it's in an old keg or in a type of gin or a whiskey or indeed a licensed premises. Ernest, uh, we wish you and all your colleagues continued success. Thanks so much for joining us on Red Business and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. I watched with interest last week when the head of one of the world's biggest banking organisations, now an American bank, said, oh no, everyone has to go back to work in the office when I say so. And none of this working from home, Lark. And my instant reaction was, he's got to be looking for staff and a lot of them in the next couple of months because the world has changed and changed quite dramatically. And that's been reflected in a new survey from taxback.com, which shows that 84% of employees would take up an employer officer of an employer offer of financial advice. And nine out of ten say employers should go the extra mile for their employees. Marion Ryan is consumer tax manager with taxback.com. Marion, how are you? I'm good, Jonathan. Um, this is interesting because I think that the power dynamic between employer and employee has shifted quite a lot. And it's kind of borne out from what the survey is telling you about what they want from their employer. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, it's the world has changed completely in the last 18 months, but even in the broader kind of environment there, employees don't simply just look for a salary anymore when they're looking for a new employer. They're looking at the package as a whole. So what are you offering me in relation to medical insurance? Are you making pension contributions to me? Can I work from home in relation to the working from home piece as well there? All of that takes into account. It's not a case that, oh, I'm going to have a 35,000 or 40,000 euro salary. It's what are these extra bonuses there along the way? And as you said, the power has kind of shifted to employees because not no longer do you have to be working and living in Dublin to be able to work for one of the, the big companies, one of the multinationals, or to be having a really good C-level job there. You can be working from your hot press in Kerry or from your, your newly built office at the back of your house in, in Tipperary there and still be able to, to run and work really hard in a quite a high-level job mm, and- there. So it's no longer a case of you have to be in Dublin City Centre Monday to Friday from 8 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Now we can work from home in your home office. Yeah, I mean, it is a foolish employer who thinks he'd be able to tell the staff where they need to be and what they need to do all the time. And and, and that flexibility uh, has almost become ingrained over the last 18 months. It's going to be very hard to shift it, if possible at all. Yeah, I think well-being, like overall well-being and financial well-being of employees, it's become really important there. So I suppose when we did make that sudden shift to working from home, it was really hard for those employers that do actually care about their employees and see them as a whole person, not just someone that is a number there for them to to touch base them and make sure that they are okay. So we've all seen that the food packages being sent home from from employers to replace the, the staff lunches and stuff like that. But what we actually saw coming kind of to the forefront, especially with 
the pandemic payments last year, so say the wage subsidy and the pandemic unemployment payment. As we know, both of them are, um, they're both taxable income. So a lot of employers had their employees that were quite worried about finances and they actually came to us. We would have always had kind of a soft level partnership with employers there. We we're mainly kind of a B2C company ourselves, but the employers actually came to us and said, how can we help the employees? So they cared and they wanted to help them out. So that's supposed to be the financial wellbeing element of it came in there. So they wanted to offer some financial support to the employees. So it's not a case that maybe they'd have money to pay their tax bills for them or give them a financial bonus at the end of the year, but at least if they can give them some support in relation to their financial worries there. So give them information on their taxes, give them more information on their pensions and how they can kind of manage their money better. It kind of leads to happier employees. And Marion, is that a generational thing as well? Because there is a younger generation out there. Like back in my day, it was the, the... Infamous ad in the top deck of the bus, someone not knowing what a tracker mortgage is. A younger generation <laughs> has even less knowledge about uh, their financial well being, starting planning for a pension or how to manage their money or how to save for a mortgage or how to make sure that uh, they're not being cast as the fellow buying the avocado toast and in, in fact is doing the right thing. Do employers, it's, it's a delicate line for employers to walk though because the, the advice has to be independent. It can't just be what Jimmy the manager thinks. Yeah, exactly. So I think financial literacy is kind of a, a problem across the board. And I don't think it's the generation that's coming into the workforce now. It's all of us across the way. Like you, you learn to do your maths in school, but you don't learn to, to actually manage your finances in school there. So I think financial literacy is becoming kind of a major concern for people there. Like I think the, the younger generation may highlight it more in that they're kind of more interested. <laughs> I think we got our mortgages back in the day and we were happy just to get a mortgage, but they want to know what their mortgage rate is. And I think there is that kind of onus on employers while there is that onus to to provide information for people like you said it needs to be kind of from a third party or a step away so no employer wants to be seen to be given financial advice themselves to an employee they don't want to give them direct pension advice or taxation advice because if something is misinterpreted or taken the wrong way it's back onto them they'll come so employers like to be able to engage with a partner that they trust and maybe kind of outsource it to them say so say we're dealing with taxback.com in relation to taxes if you've queries talk to them or we're dealing with such and such in relation to your pensions, talk to them on it there. But I suppose it's to take all that information because all that information is there, but it's to kind of put it in layman's terms, mm. put it in simple English for people and spell out for them the different tax reliefs you're entitled to or what your pension actually means to you because we all put in our contributions to our pension if we're lucky enough to have one in work, but none of us really actually know the value of it to ourselves at the end of the day. And because I'm in and out of a lot of different offices, occasionally you'll see a sign on the wall going, if you're having a problem, why don't you ring this number for a third party organisation? They'll be great at dealing with it. Um, and those old posters kind of lack currency anymore. Um, those programmes uh, have evolved and, and they're very different to what they used to be, but not every employer has an employee assistance programme. Um, how important are they in the modern era, do you think? Hugely, I think. I think mental health is something that's hugely important across the board. I think it's coming coming more so. And, and now it's kind of the taboo is gone away from it now. I think everyone knows now that their mental health is as important as your physical health. And it's not, a, you don't employ just a person or a number. It's the employee as a whole. So if you're struggling with your mental health or if you're struggling with your finances or if you're struggling with something like that, it's going to impact your work. So if employers are in pl- putting in place, like you said, employee assistance programs or financial assistance programs, stuff like that for their employees, it takes the stress out of their lives a little bit. And it means that they're happier employees. And as we all know, kind of happier employees are more productive and it kind of benefits the company. So it all goes 360. So it's not 
the case that employers are just handing out this information just for the good of it, it does come back twofold there. So that employer in America that's demanding that their employees come back to work straight away, as you mentioned there, he might be looking for a lot of employees in the next six to 12 months mm. and he might find it very hard if he's got that reputation there that he doesn't care. Well, I'm looking forward to, yeah, I'm looking forward to his mea culpa probably in about 18 months time yeah. when he can't hire it. Marion Ryan, Consumer Tax Manager with Taxback.com. Thanks for bringing us details of that survey, Marion. Thanks, Alex. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode right now from redextra.ie. May Fian was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.